Dave Fanning on 2FM. Now, Rafa Nadal bowed out of the 2023 Australian Open when he struggled with his game before, as he says himself, succumbing to his body. He said he was destroyed mentally. At 37, Cristiano Ronaldo went into the late 2022 Qatar World Cup with high hopes. When Morocco beat Portugal 1-0, Ronaldo's tearful exit was witnessed by hundreds of millions around the world. Jeff Dyer is a man described by The Telegraph as quite possibly the best living writer in Britain. And he's written a fantastically entertaining book about, well, well, about ending and, and last things. It's about life as we know it's seeming to be coming to an end and it's also about how to go on living with art and beauty and the whole damn thing. It's a brilliant, beguiling and often hilarious, always insightful and intelligent account of his own encounters with both late middle age and the last days and last works of writers, painters, footballers, musicians and yeah, tennis players as well who've mattered to him throughout his life. It's called The Last Day of uh, the Last Days of Roger Federer and Other Endings. And yeah, Federer does get some mentions but it's not a book about Federer. In fact, maybe it's mostly a book about Jeff Dyer. Well, let's find out. Jeff, welcome. Um, is it a book? I oh, mean, like, you. you are not obsessed with mortality. That does not come through necessarily, but you are fascinated and curious. Can I put it that way? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, certainly fascinated by uh, the way that uh, careers and other things come to an end. And as it happens, I mean, the real for me getting going on this book was that tearful announcement that Andy Murray made at the Australian Open. I can't even remember how many years ago it was now uh, when he said, you know, his hip was too painful and this was going to be his, uh, his his last tournament. After that, he was going to retire, probably wouldn't even make Wimbledon. Right. Anyway, that was uh, that was all very emotional. Anyway, fast forward to now. And <laughs> exactly. Here it is. Yeah, we... Um, we it it even even after I mean I suppose this is one of the questions that the book grapples with what happens after the end well um, it turns out that uh, you begin all over again you know Murray slipped so far down the rank- rankings and anyway here he is still still toiling away and it's yeah. again all these years later <laughs> let's just take a look at some bits here because you know it's not about I have to say it a few times Roger Federer but I mean what you do is you kind of set your own encounters kind of against the last days and last works of writers and painters and footballers and musicians and tennis stars who've mattered to you in real life for instance like you know anybody who follows football will know that George Best he really retired around 26 what is that about did that have a, an impact on you when you were a kid Oh, God, that was, um, you know, people always talk about where they were on the day in America, where they were on the day of the Kennedy assassination. And I will always remember being on this Duke of Edinburgh award scheme uh, in England. We were camping out, me and my friends from grammar school. And uh, this news came on the radio that George Best had quit football. It was absolutely a kind of incredible kind of thing. And, I mean, it seemed... Uh, it just seemed an extraordinary thing to do, given that he was so young. But it was also, I realise now, a quite a not untypical retirement in that that retirement was really just the prelude to the comeback. And as we know, with with George Best, there was a, there, there were all sorts of there was a kind of gradual. There were these retirements accompanied by a gradual diminution. Um, but it's this kind of bigger question, I think, is do you re- do you retire at your peak? You know, Bjorn Borg also quit yeah. tennis when he was uh, 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 when he was you know very young. But for him, it was a question of being either number one or nothing. And I think with Federer, that's one of the reasons that I, I that the book was uh, uh, had the title it did. 
you know, there was this phase where it looked like he would never win another Grand Slam, but he kept going because he liked playing tennis. Um, and I think similarly with writers, of course, there you can keep going to a, a very advanced age. I mean, the career lasts a lot longer than it does for an athlete. But there's this kind of thing that the, the interesting thing, I think, is sometimes the decline in quality, which is so obvious to readers, the writer is necessarily oblivious uh, to that. So I was very conscious when I was diagnosing the, uh, the decline in writers uh, who were oblivious to the fact that they hadn't got, got it anymore. I mean, Hemingway, for example. Uh, I was always wondering, oh, my God, am I actually looking in the mirror now and offering this diagnosis? But uh, is there a decline here that I'm not conscious of? In fact, not only was I not conscious of it, I was, I was, un I was convinced that I was really, as they say, at the height of my powers. <laughs> well then let's take a look at two other writers and let's see how a work might define them I mean for instance you say about Jack mm -hmm. Kerouac the minute I hear the words Jack Kerouac I think of On the Road and I'm, I'd say most people yeah. do his famous book The Beat Generation etc so you say from the time that Kerouac completed On the Road he was indemnified against ever making or having made even go back to his past, a serious mistake in his life. The value of a life cannot be assessed chronologically. Nothing can offset the achievement and the victory of On the Road. So let's take a look at this, first of all, because I want to get to Bob Dylan then with that as well, because he certainly yeah. has continued on maybe a lot longer than he should, and certainly in terms of the live arena, because I think I certainly would agree with you on that, even though I think he's the greatest thing in music almost. But you say nothing can offset the achievement and the victory of On the Road. It's a victory, isn't it? It was so so successful or so right or so the tome that people wanted to know about in terms of a whole generation on the road was that this was a victory. What do you mean by like, do you mean it was a victory against what life might throw at him? Because remember, he died pretty sad and sudden and, you know, cirrhosis of the liver and drink at 47 or 48. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. I, I think it's a victory in another sense as well, uh, because um, the... There are two kind of struggles going on. First of all, you know, the way that Kerouac committed himself to this very new idea, as it was back then, of spontaneous prose, yeah. which for a long time people thought was just sort of sloppy. And so, um, you know, uh, there was a long lag between uh, Kerouac finishing on the road and it finally getting published. And just to sort of uh, keeping faith with himself, uh, was a, an act of some considerable heroism, and he prophesied really quite accurately what would what would happen. So I think the fact that there was such a long wait for him to get the book published uh, made the fact that it was uh, you know pretty much instantly hailed as a as a great book made that sense of triumph even greater. And then what happened is a lot of books came out subsequently, although many of them had actually been written before On the Road was published. And I suppose my relation to this is a little bit skewed in that classically On the Road is a book that you read when you're 18 or 19 and then you grow out of. But I've never grown out of it. I mean, whenever I reread it, it seems to me, and here am I, 65, nearly 65, and my sense of the book greatness, I think, increases over time. Um, and the fact that, um, you know, Kerouac's life ended up being so sort of pitiful, you know, he ends up as yeah. an alcoholic, back, you know, the author of On the Road ends up living with his mum again at one point. Even Larkin didn't succumb to that. I mean, I think this is, uh, this sort of emphasizes just how, um, how important and 
redemptive that early achievement of on the road was. And I certainly believe that although we have this idea that maybe your last work that you do in late age will be some sort of culmination, uh, I'm really convinced of that point that I make that, uh, you know, uh, you can't tell when the defining point of your life will be. And so, you know, you think of somebody like Boris Becker. Well, yeah, he's had a pretty miserable time in the last several years, yeah. but few of us in our lives will attain anything like the the heights of those moments when he won Wimbledon as a as a teenager, I think. Well, then maybe it's all relative with Ronaldo crying off literally of, of the pitch. I mean, look how look what he's done throughout his career, a fantastic career. Let's just go to the Dylan bit then mm. from Kerouac, because yeah. what do you learn from and are inspired by in Dylan? I mean, Dylan's reworkings, his, his alterations to his music, your meditations on his evasive qualities. What do you get from Dylan? Well, I, mean, I think, as you were saying earlier, I, mean, I don't, I mean, I, uh, I think, you know, a few, I mean, my sense of Dylan's greatness is overwhelming, but I've never been able to buy into this uh, thing of late Dylan. I mean, the music seems to me, oh, it seems quite often to be these kind of, I don't know, sort of assisted living boogies and these sort of plod-alongs. Uh, and crucially, uh, you know, the voice is so shot. And so, um, and then the, the live gigs, when I, when I saw him the last time, like many people, I, I decided, okay, never again, because the strange thing was, you know, he said that the stage was the only place where he really felt at home, and he never seemed like he was having a having a, a, a good time. Uh, I mean, even when he was playing a slow song, even when he slowed a, a, a song down, it seemed like he was eager to get it over with. So there was this question of why he kept doing it, uh, you know, touring far more heavily than he had when he was at his various uh, peaks. Anyway, so it, it didn't do it for me. But then I got these accounts from uh, people about this last tour, you know, the, the rough and rowdy ways gigs, that yeah. uh, A, the voice was much improved as a result of the long kind of layoff of the pandemic. And all these accounts of people saying, oh, it was one of the best gigs I ever, yeah. I ever went to. And, you know... Um, I don't know. They were. I suppose I have to believe them, but it, but it seemed incredibly similar to the kind of accounts that you get when people have uh, had a successful weekend in Lords. You know, as a near, <laughs> nearly miraculous experience. Yeah, no, I must say, like I have to say that I have very few people who agree, and I'm so glad to hear that because I'm a major Dylan fan. I find him live ridiculous, and I find an awful lot of the stuff he's done lately. I was at that rough and rowdy ways tour, and again, to ah. me, it was nothing. I didn't get it at all. So many people are just so pleased to be in the same room and I get that I get that but like, it's not good enough as yeah. far as I'm concerned but anyway just on that note you did say that so many of his albums lately have like every second track it might be an assisted living boogie I'm going to steal that phrase and pretend it's mine I love it because that's 100% true <laughs> let's take a look at a few other people here in Turner's paintings do you see something there of a person getting older and you see it reflected back to you in those paintings uh, yeah, and there's various things going on with Tur Tur Turner's eyes, but I think, I mean, yeah, that's a, a Turner, I'm glad you've mentioned Turner, I mean, there's a sort of spectacular instance of somebody who, in later life, is not just retreading older material, but is really advancing things, so I think... Um, uh, I'd seen that show at the, the Tate Britain of uh, uh, late, late Turner, and, you know, there we're, uh, what happens is so incredible in that we, we move into something that's like proto-abstraction and we get these visionary 
paintings that seem like they're just uh, sort of pure descriptions of uh, of light, really. So that's really exciting, where somebody does their most, uh, you know, their most adventurous, experimental, and radical work late in age. I mean, there's just a a slight qualification we had we have to add to that. One of the reasons that Turner's late some of Turner's late paintings look so far out, so abstract is because they weren't finished. Um, and at this point, it's, rather, it's often difficult to tell whether he had achieved this finished state of abstraction, which was really ahead of its time, or whether it looked very abstract because, as it were, he hadn't bothered to, he hadn't got round to fully um, substantiating them yet. But all of this make, means, all of this encourages us to look at them with, uh, with, with greater intensity, I think. Okay, well, Jeff, let's get to you as well, because I mean, you do set your own encounters against the last days and last works of all the people I've just mentioned who matter to you in real life. Mm. But the intensification and, and the modification of experience that comes, if you like, with the inevitability of, of, of the end being in sight. I mean, this is a book about you. It's mm. about your passions. And is it a book, do you think, about endlessness and not endings? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a very nice way of putting it, which is where, where uh, Nietzsche is, is so important. And, you know, for, for, for me, I felt, I, I mean, I think I, at the risk of sort of blowing my own trumpet, I think all of my books have been, uh, a lot of my books have been formally, structurally quite interesting. And with this one, uh, part of the excitement that I had when I was writing it was that I felt, oh, yeah, I'm really pushing it structurally uh, still further, uh, you know, if, if, in, a, in a new direction. So that was the excitement of it for me. And also it was the fulfillment of a long-held ambition that I'd been interested in this thing of endings for a while. And I'd been particularly interested in writing about Nietzsche, Turner and Beethoven. Uh, and so I was really uh, sort of glad, relieved that I was able to, uh, to get round to, uh, to, to addressing these figures who'd been so, so important uh, to me. But like you also, like, you know, you say the meaning of any life is only constructed from outside of that life. Uh, you know, we never know the end of our own stories. We only oh, have yeah. one life, yeah. you say. It's only one life we have. It's a formulation that offers no alternative to our being saddled and sealed mm-hmm. completely within this life. So eternal recurrence and um, the whole thing of, you know, if you had to live your life again. Well, if, if, will I ask you that pathetic question? If you had to live your life again, Jeff, would you live it the same way? <laughs> well, that's... Uh that's a, that's a huge question, and, and I, I, I wouldn't, actually. Um, and, but I think, yeah, I wouldn't. I would change all sorts of things. Uh, I've always had a great propensity for regret. But, yeah, this, just to sort of summarize this idea of the eternal recurrence, uh, which is Nietzsche's key idea, yeah. where he says that in, in such distinction to the Christian idea of, uh, you know, of an afterlife whereby, okay, this life might be really terrible, but it doesn't matter because you've got an eternity in heaven. Whereas Nietzsche says, actually, this life that you've led, you're going to live over and over again throughout all eternity. So, I mean, that's a really, that makes you really concentrate on what you're doing in this life. And even, I think what's interesting, in, not just for me, but for other people, even though there's lots of things that I would change and do differently in my life, I had this idea of Nietzsche's in my head as a kind of, um, as, a, as a sort of encouragement to, to, to um, how to live in a particular way. And 
the thing is, I've gone on making mistakes, doing things that I've regretted uh, ever since. But one of the things I don't regret and one of the phases of my life that I would be happy to live over and over again throughout all eternity was this phase, this 18 months that I spent uh, writing writing uh, the book that we're discussing. Right, indeed. And as you say, like age will certainly play a part in that. So just finally, Jeff, by the way, the book is called The Last Days of Roger Federer and Other Endings. And Jeff Dyer it is. And it's one of the best reads you'll have this year. And I can say that now with so many weeks to go. So just um, can I put it like this in some ways in terms of you and maybe in terms of a lot of the people in the book too, that age has come upon you, but youth has not yet gone. Yes, I think, and this is something we're all very familiar with, isn't it? If you look at pictures of uh, people who were in their 40s in the 1950s, let's say, you know, they look and live as though they're very old, whereas, uh, you know, now people are able to, uh, well, but A, we look after each other, uh, we look after ourselves much better than they did back then. And it's possible to sort of live in a, in a, um, uh, uh, this kind of, um, you know, in a vigorous way for a lot longer. And also, if you're doing something that you like doing, which you know, if if you're a, if you uh, you know, if you're a writer, artist, or whatever, then this thing which, in many walks of life, you look forward to, retirement, whereby you're you know, where you're you're let out of the the prison of the occupation that you've been forced to. I mean, retirement actually plays, you know, nobody I, I know in, in, in the sort of world that I move in of, of these things of people doing creative things, nobody wants, retire, yeah. wants to retire. Instead of that, what's replaced that is the dread of some kind of dementia or, you know, the day coming when it's not that you are able to retire, but that you will be unable to continue doing what it is that gives you your sense of uh, purpose. Exactly, that's exactly it. Jeff, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for talking with us today. Oh, for me too. Thank you so much. Dave Fanning on 2FM.